Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. This morning, I don't have a sermon, I have a message. Had one last week, and there may still be a few people home licking a few wounds. I don't know. (laughs) Some of the ladies said, if you preach an easy message on Father's Day, we're going to be upset. Because that was sure a challenging message you brought on Mother's Day. About Hannah's boy and prayer, the effectual fervent prayer. And uh, lending our children to the Lord. But, you know, people, they'll heal up. They'll be back. No, folks are traveling, different things. But this morning, God has prompted my spirit. I don't know if this is for one, but it's for someone. Maybe for everyone. But God has a word for us tonight. The mes- today, the message is entitled, Filling Empty Spaces. You know that the enemy works through empty places. The enemy works through empty spaces. You don't have to have your life at large empty in order to have an area of your life empty. Some people are living in empty marriages. Some people have empty relationships with their children. Some people are going through empty seasons in their emotions and in their mindset. But the enemy works through emptiness. And uh, he works through isolation. And he wants to isolate us in a way Uh, that we feel all alone and that we feel we can tell no one and that there's nobody that's going to help us, uh, even God. But I want to address this this morning because emptiness is a very powerful thing. All of us have seasons and days that we feel more empty than we do filled and sometimes utterly empty. So I'm going to take you a little deeper. I promise you that 999 churches out of a thousand will never preach this message. You hear me? And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm telling you, church, people are going through too much not to get all the word. Right? We need all the word. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, he talks about a man set free. He said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for an utterance of the Holy Spirit confessing to you that I'm not able in my ability to bring this word, certainly not a living word. And I ask you now by your spirit to bring forth that utterance, to make this word alive, to go into each and every heart. I open the understanding of this people beyond their intellect, but into their soul and into their spirit. That understanding will come and that the truth, Lord, will make many free. I thank you and I praise you in thy name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we see a wonderful thing. We see a beautiful thing that has happened in someone's life. Jesus himself is speaking this. Nobody has solicited this information. He's been talking about other things, and suddenly he delves into this spirit realm reality. And he starts talking about these beings of the spirit realm and and what they do and how they interact with the lives of men and women and boys and girls. And he said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man... He walketh through dry places. Not the man, but the unclean spirit walks through dry places. 
seeking rest and findeth none. And so what I want to show you, first of all, is that something wonderful has just happened in somebody's life when an unclean spirit has left. Okay? Now we could say an unclean influence. We could say an unclean mindset. We could say an unclean stronghold. You could say uh, an unclean attitude. Uh, You could just connect this to so many things that are a part of our everyday lives. And society as a whole wants to believe that it's it's a a physical situation uh, or an emotional situation. And it may be both of those things and still yet be a spiritual situation. That it could be a spiritual happening that is producing a physical situation. Or a spiritual happening that's producing emotional situations. But Jesus begins this statement with very good news. Somebody has been set free. An unclean spirit, an unclean attitude, an unclean mindset, an unclean stronghold, an unclean habit, an unclean addiction, an unclean something has gone out of a man. And that thing, that spirit, that being, Jesus said he... He, he makes it very uh, personal. That spirit walketh through dry places. And he's seeking for rest and he finds none. Now then we go into the next verse, verse 44. Then he, the spirit, the attitude, the bondage, the habit, the problem. The, the spirit, the problem says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And so the next thing that we understand is that when this thing that has troubled you, this problem, this attitude, this mindset, this habit, this way of living, this bondage, maybe it's a a generational thing that you inherited through your family. Thank God we can inherit some good things through our family too, right? But you know, when this thing has gone out and is looking for rest and cannot find anything... The enemy, I put on this slide, wills to return. Or let me say, the problem wants to come back. The attitude wants to come back. The addiction wants to come back. The mindset wants to come back. Are you with me this morning? And so this thing that has left, whatever and however you want to say it, the oppression, whatever, it wants to come back. I will return. You see, the will of this mess, the will of this problem, I will return. Every time without exception that anything connected to the things of the enemy have left your life, they will always desire to come back. Always. There's no exception. There will always be a desire for that to come back. If the enemy sees that you've been set free from years of anger and temper and bitterness and unforgiveness, he will seek a way to come back with that same problem. And so we find out in the remainder of this verse that after he has said, I will return into my house from whence I came out, It said, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. So now we see the condition of the house that this enemy once lived in 
has had to vacate, has sought to return to. And if he finds this house empty, swept, and garnished. Now this house is two-thirds in good shape. This house is two-thirds in victory. Two-thirds success is going on. What are the two-thirds good things? Well, first of all, the house has been swept. Praise God. There's been some cleaning going on. Amen. Some of the clutter has been gotten away. Some of those thoughts and mindsets and, you know, lies of the enemy and ways of thinking that maybe even your great-grandmother had and your grandmother had and your mother had and you have. That these things have been swept away. Praise God. you got to know that when a house has been swept, that it is not the kingdom of darkness that has been in action. It is the kingdom of God. When things have been swept out the door, things that have cluttered our lives and things that we have weighed it through and been through and, and accepted for so long, but now we have seen that we don't need that anymore and it's not of God anymore. And we sought for freedom and victory and it's been swept away, praise God. And then we find another great condition of this house is that it is garnished. Now the word garnished here means it has been decorated. It's been decorated. Not only has it been swept, but the place has been remodeled. There's new carpet. There's new paint on the walls. Amen. It's fresh. There's new lights in it. It's lighter than it's ever been. Amen. There's good things that are happening in this house. Things of the past have been swept away. And now the house has been decorated. It has been put into place. Are you with me this morning? And, and you know, you see that so many times, even in the physical realm. You can go into a house as company and find that that person was expecting you, has cleaned it up, has decorated it. Everything looks wonderful. But many times a decorated and clean house does not tell the whole story. Many times there are beautiful homes or beautiful houses, I should say, that are not homes. Beautiful houses where the family is in turmoil. Beautiful houses where things on the inside are not so good. It looks all right when you come to it. It looks all right when you come into it. After all, it is clean and it's decorated. And so these are two wonderful conditions. And both of these conditions, speaking as our inner man as a house, our soul. Amen. Our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. And our soul is a house knowing that that place has been swept. There's things that need to be swept out of your mind. There's things that need to be swept out of your emotions. There's hurts and things of the past that you've lived with long enough. It's time, amen, to remodel. It's time to clean it out. You need to call HGTV and let them come in with their crew and, and come in and get all the clutter out and reorganize and straighten it up. Sometimes you need, uh, you know, the... The crews that have come in and just tear the place down and build it all new again. 
It's good when our inner man gets swept and garnished, decorated. Used to look rough, now we wear a tie. We're all decorated. Got a nice pair of slacks on and pretty good little shirt. You know, we're decorated. But there's a problem remaining in this house. You can see God has been at work. It's been swept and it's been decorated. But there's a problem remaining in this house. When this habit, when this mindset, when this condition, when this spirit, when he comes back, he also finds the house empty. Empty. There's an emptiness. Now, I looked at the word empty, and the next slide will show you this skoledzo. Perhaps that's somewhere in the Greek. Skoledzo. This Greek word. And I was quite surprised when I found this definition. Empty here, skoledzo, in the Greek, means to take a holiday. To be at leisure. By implication, to devote oneself wholly to leisure, to vacation, a holiday. Figuratively, to be vacant. Now the problem about this house being empty is not that there is not an owner of this house. It's not that it is a vacant house that no one has the title deed on. The problem is, is that the owner is on a holiday. The owner is living a life of leisure. Oh, I'm going to come on, even if I don't have anybody else tell me to. The problem here is that the emptiness of this house... It's not that there's not somebody living there or somebody in and out of there, but it's that they are living a life of leisure. It's running down. It's not being attended to. They're on holiday. They're taking a vacation. It's swept and it's decorated, but it is empty. Figuratively, Concerning a house to be vacant. So there's an emptiness in this clean and decorated house. There's an emptiness abiding in this clean and decorated house. Are you with me? And so, this word empty is very powerful. Very powerful. And so then we go to verse 45. When this mindset, this habit, this addiction, this this emotion, this spirit finds the house clean and swept, garnished and decorated but empty, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in. Now let's stop there in a minute, this half verse. So as this problem that once was there and got swept out, this problem that once cluttered but now it's been redecorated, is able to come back into the home and find the owner 
at leisure. Find the owner on vacation. Don't you see why 999 pastors out of a thousand would not preach this message? It's serious. He goes and takes unto himself seven other problems. Seven other spirits. Seven other attitudes. Seven other bondages. Stronger than he was. He takes unto himself. That means he begins to associate himself with things even worse than he is. See, this is why that a life of darkness and a life of sin never rests. It never comes to the place that you are as bound as you can be. Because sin progresses. Habits progress. Attitudes progress. Mindsets progress. Oh, it's good gospel preaching this morning. These things progress. How and why? Progresses because many people live in a cycle of visiting God enough to get swept out. To sweep out the clutter from time to time. They're, they're not comfortable in the mess. They're not comfortable with the problem. And they visit God enough to get swept out. And some may even visit God enough to get some redecorating done. Get some new pictures on the wall. Get some fresh carpet in the house. They're enough with God to get some redecorating. However, they're not enough with God. They're not engaged day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, with the Word, with the Spirit, with the mindset of God, to be filled. They get swept out from time to time. They get redecorated from time to time. But they're not filled. And so the problems come back and they begin to say things like, you know, it's not working. This church thing isn't working. This Bible reading thing, this verse I pull out of the thing on my, uh, on, on my coffee table every morning, this verse a day thing's not working. And let me tell you that the more, the greater the mess that has been in your house the greater your commitment has to be to the things of God. The greater the depression, the greater the oppression, the greater the addiction, the greater the anger, the greater the bitterness, the greater the unforgiveness has remained in your house, the greater you have to commit yourself to the maintenance of that house. You cannot sweep it out and redecorate it and then live a vacation life, a life of leisure in the Spirit, and it stay swept out. And it stay maintained. This Spirit now comes home, and man, He's got more room to operate than He's ever had. The place has been cleaned up. He goes and gets seven other problems, bigger than He is, and they come in, and they enter in. These seven other spirits, Jesus said himself, red letter in your Bible. If you don't like it, take it up with Jesus. Amen. 
He said, they enter in and dwell there. Interesting. This word dwell means exactly what you think it would to take up residence. That while the person is on vacation, while the person is living a spiritual life of leisure, the enemy comes in seven times stronger and resides in the house. What would you do if you came back from your vacation and somebody had moved into your house? I mean, that would be horrible. If you came in and found out that while you were gone, somebody moved right in as though it was their house. And they were tearing the place up. Oh, the enemy doesn't like this message this morning. It's good truth. Everybody needs to hear it. And so they come in and reside, take up residence. And Jesus simply says, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. He'd been better off with the one wicked spirit. Then now he has eight. The one that was originally there and the seven others that moved in with him. That associated himself with it. See, people say, I just want a little bit of darkness. I want enough of the world to have fun. I want enough of the world to be popular. I want enough of the world to not be so serious all the time. My wife says I was born 40. That makes me 88. You know, serious minded. I was the party pooper as a teenager. My friends would say, hey, come, let's go do this. And I'd be like, but what if? What if we get caught? What if Jesus comes? I had some good gospel preachers preaching to me. Amen. It didn't keep me completely perfect, but I tell you what, it sure didn't let me enjoy anything wrong. Anything I wanted to touch, it wasn't right. I tell you what, I had in the back of my mind, Jesus is coming in a moment and the twinkling of an eye. And it could be when I'm right in the middle of being human. Right? Aren't you glad God loves you enough to mess you up for the world? To just mess you up for the things that you used to enjoy and think was all right and, and think was a party thing. That's exactly what I'm trying to do to you. Young people, when you're, when you're tempted, college age adults, when you're, when you're tempted to do wrong, I just pray you hear my voice speaking the Word of God. I pray that you think Jesus could come at any moment. And after this message, I pray that you think, hey, I don't want to welcome back an old problem because that old problem's not coming by itself. It's going to bring seven other problems with it. It's going to make me in a worse state than I was in the beginning. You see, we may take it leisurely, this spiritual life of ours, but the devil's not taking it leisurely. He doesn't move in to take vacation. He doesn't move in to leave a, lead a life of leisure. He moves in to take over. He moves in to tear down. He moves in to mess up. He moves in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. See, when a thief comes into your house, he doesn't take your garbage off. Amen. I love the people that come by my house and take off my garbage. 
They're a great group of people, S&G. Cost me about a dollar a day. And somebody shows up magically once a week and takes off my, my trash. Stinking, rotten mess. They just haul off. I love that. But the devil didn't come to take off your trash. He came to take your treasure. He came to take your treasure. He came to destroy your marriage. He came to take your children. You hear me? He doesn't come in and reside to make you popular. He doesn't come in and reside to let you enjoy life. You'll enjoy it for a little while. But before long, it will take you places you didn't want to go. You were the one that said, I'm going to control that habit. I'm going to control that addiction. I'm the one that's not going to go too far with it. I'm going to keep it in measure. And millions of millions of people have said it before you and not been able to do it and neither will you. Because the sin you are leisurely enough to let into your house will one day control your home. It will control your house. Amen? Aren't you glad you got a pastor that loves you enough to preach what God says to preach? Amen. The last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, I cannot leave it right here. How do we fill that empty space? How do we fill it? If the enemy is looking for emptiness, then how do I prevent emptiness? You notice the devil doesn't care how clean you are. He doesn't care what you look like on the outside. How decorated and remodeled you are. All he's looking for is one empty room. One empty spot. That he can get a foot in. Just a new beginning for him. He'll take the mud room. But he won't stay there. He'll take the furnace closet. But he won't stay there. He's looking for an opening, and the opening is emptiness. So what do we do? How do we keep this? Let's go to Ephesians 5. This message could be a long series. <laughs> I'm going to give you this morning just, I think, six things. Ephesians 5, just this one passage. Imagine what the whole New Testament has to say about this. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you want to prevent the old problem from coming back worse, the first thing that I want to tell you this morning is you need to become an understanding of God's will. You need to understand God's will. You need to understand that it's not God's will for you to be bound. It's got not God's will... For you to inherit the addictions and behaviors and messes of those people that brought you to earth. It is not God's will that you are bound because of the trauma and the hurts and offense that others have inflicted on you. Amen? And it is not God's will that you are bound... By your own choices. That the sins and things you have linked with will create bondage in you. It is the will of God for you to be free. It's the will of God for you to be swept and clean and not on vacation. 
Swept and clean and diligent. Swept and clean and awake. Swept and clean and obedient. Swept and clean and knowing the will of God for your life. You see, God has a higher purpose for your house than for it to be filled with the trash of the world. God has a higher purpose for your house than for others to come in and abuse it and destroy it and scar it and wound it. God's will is greater for you than anything you would ever be able to accomplish by yourself. God has an eternal purpose for your house. Praise God. Look at somebody and say, it's getting better. Amen. I mean, this slide's already better than the others, right? Understanding that God's will and purpose and plan for us is greater than anything the world could give us by itself. God has a will for my life. Sometimes we feel lonely. Sometimes we feel that God doesn't even know our name. But the truth is, not only does God know my name, God breathed the life into my body. That I have already come from heaven, and it is the will of God for me someday to return to heaven. Amen? And that while I'm on earth, it's God's will that I live an eternal, weighted life. Eternally weighted. Isn't that good? So understand God's will. Verse 18. He says, and be not drunk with wine. Once in a while. Be not drunk with wine. Occasionally. He said, and be not drunk with wine. I suppose that means ever. I don't see any other description. Be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess. But the thought I really want you to get is be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Why would God choose the Holy Spirit and collate that in the same verse that He would talk about wine? Remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came that the men looked at the apostles and said, These men are drunk with wine. And Peter stood up and said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. Peter did not debate the fact that they were drunk. (laughs) He just said, they're not drunk like you think they're drunk. They're not drunk on wine. But this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. They are drunk on the Holy Spirit. They are drunk on the new wine. There's a message out there on the table from years ago that's called, So You Want New Wine. It's a powerful message. And one of those that came during a seven-week revival we had in the old sanctuary that I preached. And so, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God will do in your spirit man more than wine will do In your physical man. Wine, there is excess. But notice, you cannot get too much excess of the Spirit. The word filled here is a word that means ever filled. To be repleted. 
not simply to be filled once, not simply to be able to say on such and such a day and such and such a month and such and such a year, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But it means to live a life of continual filling of the Holy Spirit. To be repleted or to make up the gap or the hole or the deficit. It indicates to us that life with its trials and, and our humanity will sometimes begin to drain us of our supply. But that fountain never runs dry. The source is never empty. He is always available. He is always there. Be ye ever filled with the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine if that problem, if that attitude, if that enemy, if that wicked spirit had come to that house and found it swept and found it redecorated and found it filled with the Holy Spirit, how that that spirit could not have gone and gotten seven other spirits more wicked than himself. He would have had to have gone and tried to find a whole other house house to live in. He couldn't have come because the house would have been filled. And then he said in verse 19, speaking to yourselves. Yes, the, Bi the Bible advocates talking to yourself. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God wants you to talk to yourself. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. But don't just talk to yourself and don't look at me like you don't. I know you do. I've often heard the problem is not talking to yourself. It's when you begin to answer. And if that case, there are days I'm in trouble. But don't just speak to yourself anything... In all means, don't speak to yourself in agreement with the problem. Agreement with the bondage, the addiction, the mindset, the attitude. Amen. Speak to yourselves in psalms, worship songs, and hymns. Amen. These are literally talking about a specific group of psalms that was written uh, back many years ago that the Jewish people held as hymns. And so... Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he goes on and says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I'm not a singer, but I'm a worshiper. And when I'm by myself, I sing. Every now and then, I apologize to God. When I know it's especially off-key. But I sing and make melody in my heart. Interesting thing about that word heart. It also means soul. Get this from here to here. Get this life in you. Not here. Not intellectually. In your soul. Get this in you. Amen. Are you with me? So, we've got to speak to ourselves... The Word of God. Speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns. Spiritual songs. How I many of you know psalms and hymns are the Word of God? With a melody. Singing and making melody in your heart. So you get this in you. Alright, I'm about to wrap up. Somebody say praise God. And so the fifth thing that I want you to see is verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God 
and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be filled to the place that the enemy cannot find emptiness, you need to focus on being thankful. Any one of us could choose to sit down, list our trials, list our hurts, remember our past, take offense afresh. List all of the things that we would need to list in order to get a good depression on. Amen. We could. And I'm telling you, if you don't you think that depression, thought, uh, that it starts in a hormone level. It starts in your thoughts. And if you rock those thoughts and baby those thoughts and raise those thoughts up to be bigger and bigger and bigger, it will create some hormone problems. It will create some imbalances. All man knows to do is throw you some mind-numbing pills. But why not go to the source, the creator of our soul, and let God begin... To remind us of the blessing. When David came to Siklag, he had been off to battle. He had been doing what God had called him to do. And in the battle, he had won the victory. And when he and his men got home, the city was on fire. It was in ashes. Their goods had been robbed and their families had been taken hostage. And there in Siglag, the same people that battled with David and won the victory were now talking about stoning him to death. And there in Siglag, David sat on one of the ash heaps. And he went to God and said, God, what am I going to do? Do you want me to pursue the enemy? Do you want me to go after those that have robbed me? Do you want me to go and get back what the enemy stole from my life? And God said, go, and you will recover all. I'm telling you, in this world, the devil can pursue you, or you can pursue him. Amen. The lion wannabe can stalk you, or the lion killers can stalk him. Amen. The giants of the enemy can say, I will squash you under my feet. Or you can rise up as a giant killer with the word of God and the truth of God and the power of God. And you can cause that lion to run from you instead of toward you. You can destroy the giants of the enemy and bring down his strongholds. Amen. Oh, that's Old Testament. First Corinthians about chapter 10. Pulling down strongholds. Pulling, casting down thoughts and imaginations to the pulling down of the strongholds. God did not make me to live as a stronghold of the enemy. He made me to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. He made me to pull them down in my life, in the life of my wife and my children, and in the lives of the town, the city, the region he sends me to minister to. I've been given the weapons of warfare to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. Don't you believe for one minute that the enemy is stronger than you are? He is not. 
He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a tempter. But he does not have might and power that is greater than what Jesus has given to you. God never warns us about the power of the devil. He warns us about the lies of the devil. The deception of the devil. The accusation of the devil. The temptation of the devil. But what he says about the power of the enemies, behold, I give unto you, Luke ten nineteen. behold, I give unto you authority, exusa, over all the power of the enemy. I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hallelujah. What power the devil has, I have authority over it. Authority limits power. Amen. I prove it every time I drive on the interstate. Picked up a 2001 Mercedes and it's registered to 160. Every time I get on the interstate, I've yet to go 160. Because there is an authority on the interstate that limits my power. Besides that, gas is over $4 a gallon and who wants to eat it up that quick? (laughs) Amen. There's an authority on the interstate that limits my power. I have the authority God given to limit what the enemy does in my life. And to limit what the enemy does in my wife's life. And to limit what the enemy does in my children's life. I have the authority God given to limit the power of the enemy. Amen. Those things weren't in my notes. You didn't see that on a slide. That's called utterance. Amen. We can focus on the battles and become more and more a loser. Or we can focus on the blessing. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on being thankful. Don't finish one prayer without thanking God for what's right, for what's good, for your blessing. You know, you can pray yourself into a depression sometimes. You get down and start telling God everything that's wrong and everything that's bad. And the more you pray, the weaker you get and the tireder you get and the more hopeless you get. Amen. That's why he said, don't stop with telling God the problem. Amen. Spend some time talking about the goodness of God. I want to thank you today, Lord, that the blood of Jesus has washed away my sins. I want to thank you that my name is written in the book of life. I want to thank you, Lord, for the times the devil wanted to do something and you said no. I want to thank you, Lord, that I'm as well as what I am. I want to thank you, God, that my children are serving God. I want to thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is with me day by day. I want to thank you, Lord, hallelujah, that you picked me up every time I fell down. I want to thank you, God, that you brought me through the last valley and you're going to bring me through this one. I'm going to thank you Lord that I was able to scale that last mountain and I'm going to scale the next one with your help. I want to thank you God for what you've done in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be thankful because when you focus on the problems it creates emptiness and the enemy will work on it. One more thing. Are you ready for the last thing? Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. I've titled this slide after a statement that David Hall gave me years ago. You've got to learn to run in your lane. 
run in your lane. David told me one day in uh, New Mexico, he said, I've had to learn in my ministry that I need to run in my lane. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Well, doesn't that mean to submit ourselves to everyone around us? Well, I'm certainly not supposed to go to the nursery and submit myself to the infants. Right? I'm not supposed to go into the three and four year old class and submit myself to three and four year olds, although many parents have already done that. I want to tell you, mom and dad, you're supposed to be in charge. I don't submit myself to those under me. I submit myself to the authority that God has placed over me. Amen. You got people in your life, Brother Hall, that you're submitted to? Absolutely. Absolutely. They don't change my God-given direction, but they speak into my life. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Guess what? When the privates are honoring the corporals, and the corporals are submitted to the sergeants, and the sergeants who really get the bulk of the work done, right? <laughs> Any of you guys agree with that? You know, those guys come out of the officer school sometimes. It's lieutenants and captains. They give the orders, but the sergeants get it done. Right? All right, I thought I had that right. I've not been in the military, but I've served in this one a long time. When those things are in order, guess what happens? You begin to operate under higher and higher authority. Isn't that good? You serve in this army of God. Submit it to authority. And in time, the, the orders you are given are coming from God Himself. From God through... You know, it's one thing for the sergeant to walk up and say, I need you to do this and that. Depending on the sergeant, on what you can get by with. But when a general comes by, or a two-star, or a three-star, there's a little bit different discipline around. You see, God is a God of authority. And if we'll hear what He's telling the generals, and the generals are telling the colonels, and the colonels are telling the captains, or majors, and captains, and so on, we're going to be hearing from God. Run in your lane. Do well what you have been called to do. It may begin in the nursery. And it may end on a world stage. Submit yourselves one to another. Not just for me to mind those that are over me, but I have people to go to when I'm in trouble. I have somebody to go to when I need help. Because I'm submitted under authority and in authority. Stand with me this afternoon. Letting everybody here know that I give my life to Jesus today. Is there one? Is there anyone else? I just don't want, I know there'd be a lot of people say I re-give or I renew. But if there's one more that needs to come, I want to give you that opportunity. You ready? Come on. Come on, Johnny. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.